Yeah. So today I'm closing up uh, Losing My Religion. Hopefully it has been a, uh, a series. I've enjoyed preaching it. Um, it's basically about holding on to the core tenets of our faith in, in the midst of a culture that will try to consume those things. And as we slowly kind of give away parts of our, of our faith, that eventually, what are we even doing? And today, I wanted to speak to a reality that is a frustrating opportunity uh, because in the midst of crisis, pain, loss, diagnosis, you will notice that many people will run to God. Even if they have not built their life around him, even if they don't necessarily believe in him all the time, there is still a moment of a crying out to somebody has to be in charge. You know, like, um, as an example, you know, when and I was in high school and my, and my mother passed away, I was agnostic, but I got mad at God, even though I didn't believe in him, which is kind of an odd entry point to faith. So I had to believe in him in order to be upset with him. And you'll notice that too in uh, culturally, you know, a few weeks ago I talked about on, on September 11th, the, the, one of the most highest attended seasons in the church in the past 50 years was the month following 9-11 because all of a sudden when things seemed unstable everybody ran back to God but eventually culture consumed that back and we got busy so there are parts of us whether or not we want to admit it there's a piece inside of us that yearns for God in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is uh, not, it's kind of a bummer sometimes to read it. Um, it's a great book, but it's, a, it's, like, whew, it's heavy, right? There's a, a verse in, in 11, but I'm going to read the beginning because you might recognize it if you were around in the 60s. So Ecclesiastes 3 says, there's a time for everything in a season for activity under the heavens. Time to be born, time to die, time to plant, a time to uproot, time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them. It's a time to embrace, and a time to refrain, a time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend. Time to be silent and a time to speak. Time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid upon the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He has set eternity in the human heart. There's something in us that God has placed that even if we are far outside, you know, we've wandered off greatly, there's a piece of us. And that's what crisis, loss, and pain will expose that. It will expose, you know, when you're at the bedside of someone who's going through something pretty major, it, their faith, it, it, you don't want to go through those times, but the faith really gets borne out in the midst of storms. There have been uh, things the past few years that I th maybe you want to forget. Um, you know, when 
March of 2020 kind of happened. And since then, there are periods of that time that you might not even remember what April of that year was like or, or you know, March. To, you, maybe you got so much more work laid upon you that you just kind of put your head down and went at it. Or your entire job, your life, your kids were home. All of a sudden you had to teach and homeschool and everything kind of got thrown into this big blender. And you got out the other side and you're like, I don't even remember what in the world that was about. So there are things that we have forgotten. There, there's some things I don't think we should. And one of those things went largely unnoticed because it was just happening in the midst of the chaos. So on Easter Sunday, April 12th of 2020, life is at a standstill. Um, it was the first, it was, what was interesting was I had only ever canceled one service ever in my ministry career because of a blizzard here, you know, one time. And then all of a sudden, now here's 10, you know, kind of all in a row. One of those was Easter. And that was a, that was a tough service to, to not do, you know, so we did it later in the fall, uh, in our, uh, 2.0, uh, series, but there's a moment where on YouTube and on CBS, I think it was, uh, it broke records. Uh, it was the, in 28, in 24 hours, there were 28 million views of this one clip. And uh, we've kind of moved on beyond it. Uh, it is still, to this day, the most downloaded classical music performance in the history of the Internet. And there's not a lot of those, but this is, the, this is the biggest one. And what it was, was an opera singer named Andrea Bocelli stood in front of the, it's called Il Domo in Milan, Italy, and sang. So in the midst of chaos, fear, they decided, really in what was an epicenter at that point, to have this man come up and sing. And what, what did he sing? He sang a song written by a converted slave trader. And it's the song Amazing Grace. In the midst of with the biggest fear moments, the world said, we need to hear, we need to hear this. And it is a song that I think is a, even if you don't go to church, it is the most uh, recorded song ever. It is the most, uh, you take pieces of it and it's in other songs, it's all over the place. And it's written, like I said, by this converted slave trader. He was, he was trading humans and was saved and all of a sudden examined his life and said, this grace is amazing for a wretch like me. So I'm going to show this clip because this is one of those things I don't want us to forget. It is remarkable. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. 
like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to going to keep going behind me, but what I want you to notice is in culturally, we needed at that point, God. We said we need to hear this, this hymn, this traditional hymn to, to provide comfort. So what frustrates me is I know that God has set eternity in the heart of all mankind. I know that in the midst of fear and panic, society cried out to God. Yet, the gospel and people's faith is in the decline all around the world. So what's the disconnect? <laughs> That's, it's like this, it's this thing of, you know, I don't want us to forget the kind of the palpable sense of fear in this. And what was, what was more difficult during this time was the answer to the season was to go into isolation. Where in the midst of like 9-11, the answer was we need to be together. And that was a very difficult thing that all of us kind of went through of, no, go and be home. But we all said, but we need God. We need someone in, in that. So this, all of a sudden, was one of the most viewed things in the, in the world. And you're like, how, how is that even possible? And this man who, who lost his sight, you know, and, and as a, I think it was 12, you know, singing was blind, but now I see, is a remarkable thing. A song of a converted slave trader who is, I know we don't rank sins, but imagine the weight and the guilt he felt. And that's why when he writes Amazing Grace, how sweet that sound that saves someone even like me. And so the disconnect that, that, is, that I see in why are we losing our religion is, you know, we can be, you know, mad at the world, but I think there is something going on that we have to recognize that we are playing a role in that decline. 
I um, am a kind of a history buff, but I'm also a, a stats kind of guy that really likes those things, so I'm great at parties, and um, so people love, love it when I do this. But there is a, uh, you can go on it, it's going to be interesting if you like this sort of thing, it's called thestateoftheology.com, and they're doing this longitudinal study where they have just general, so the top graph that you see up there is just general people, and then the bottom graph you can drill down onto like backgrounds and affiliations, so I, I did evangelical for the, for the bottom graph, and so the blue is agree, and the red is disagree. And what is frightening, so they have these, these same questions. I think they've been doing it since 2016. And they do it every two years. And so the first question I wanted to highlight to you is, Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. Um, half, almost half of evangelical Christians agree with that. So the top line can do whatever it wants to do. <laughs> the bottom is us. Um, that is a concern. I'm going to have a few of these. Uh, Let's go to the next one. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is literally, not literally true. So if we can't define truth at this point, how are we going to share the truth of the gospel? And the, the top, I expect. The bottom, that's almost 30%. There's a disconnect that's coming that's kind of fascinating, but let's go to the next one. Worshiping alone. Oh, this one spiked like crazy, and we still haven't fully recovered from this. Many churches um, will never recover from the past couple of years. But worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. Um, That's almost at half. Sorry, that's over half now. That was never that high up until the last couple of years. Um, And why is that important? Because that's community, that's the church, that's fellowship, that's us coming together. And we now have, yeah, it's fine. We don't really need it. We don't really need a 2,000-year-old institution that Jesus created. Um, Let's go to the next. Every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. Um, That is somewhat in response to that first question there about worshiping alone. You, You don't have to. You don't have to let people get to know you, pray for you. You don't have to do that. That's, a, that's an issue. Let's do the next. Religious belief, and this is not going to get better unless we do something about this. Religious belief is a matter of personal opinion and is not about objective truth. Again, the top I expect, the bottom I, I don't. Um, religious belief or what we believe is truth or what are we even doing here and this is the church this is the bottom part is the church the next one's uh really fascinating the bible is the highest authority for what i believe now somebody's lying because those two we're going to go back and forth next to them the bible is the highest authority for what i believe and i break going yep Absolutely. Let's go back to the, the. Let's go backwards. It's not a truth, though. Somebody's lying somewhere. So it's not truth. Let's go back. But it is the highest authority for what I believe. How do you live? Somebody's lying. So I believe it. This is the highest authority for what I believe. However, it is not truth. How do we share the gospel if we don't know what it is? 
That's what this is. Those two next to each other say that. And there's, I think, 20 other questions. If you want to kind of drill down, it's really an interesting. You can do like mainline Christian Christians. Those are like uh, Lutherans, Episcopalians, or I just stuck with the evangelicals. The Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. If that was actually what we did, then the world would look a lot different. I remember a few years, well, when I was growing up, I never really understood the question, or really understood, why does a man dying 2,000 years ago have anything to do with me? If you don't go to church, what's, you know, that was kind of the question of, why are we gathering? And because I didn't know the gospel. And I think, based off the answers to this question, to these questions, I don't think many of of us know the gospel. And that could be from poor teaching, it can be slow compromises along the way, things we give away, things that we just say, you know, I don't want to be controversial, um, you know, a lack of commitment, um, the not regularly going to church creates, you know, good biblical, a lack of biblical, you know, doctrine in, in our homes and in our communities, because we just don't know what this stuff is anymore. We got busy, and now we don't even know what the gospel is. So the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay, good. What's the news? The news is, and, and you can't have, uh, sorry, go, I think it was the first one. He's a great teacher, but not God. You can't have the gospel if he's not God. That is, the defining term of Christianity is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection absolve you of your sins. Like, well, Why? Because based off the, sacrifi- the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, every year uh, at, the, at Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, they would go find a lamb. Not a bad lamb, not like a lamb they were going to d- let die anyways. They would find the best lamb, one that would actually be a sacrifice. One that would not like Stumpy, the three-legged sheep. They would bring in, like, they would find one that you'll go, oh, that one? Okay, but it was only good for one year. And so you would cast your sins upon this lamb and he would be sacrificed. That's why Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And so because of that, every year you'd have to go through this routine and this ritual and you would come in and you would find something to sacrifice. It's also why Jesus got upset on, in Holy Week. He would come in and everybody would be having to purchase you know, uh, an animal or something to take your place. And they, would, they knew that they had these people stuck. So they would charge you, they would gouge you for this pigeon, or they would gouge you for this. That's why Jesus said, you know what? We're not doing this anymore. He started flipping tables. It was based off of he was upset that they were abusing the poor for this sacrificial system. So Jesus is the representation of this lamb. And so as he's hanging on the cross, he's absorbing the sins of humanity because there will never be a more perfect lamb. He's sinless, he's blameless, and if he's just a great teacher, this doesn't work. And if he's just a great teacher, then all of Christianity falls apart. And if he's just a great teacher, then his resurrection doesn't make sense. So one of those two things has to work. So if he's just a great teacher, then him hanging on a cross is just a day. Well, it was a sad day. He probably shouldn't have killed that great teacher. But his resurrection is his, is his godly moment. It shows his divinity in that moment. He is, ascends to heaven. And because of that act, we, through, we can ask for our sins to be cast upon him. 
And he is the ransom. That's why you get all these terms in the church. That's the gospel. That's why the grace is amazing, because that slave trader looked at his life and went, me? He'll even absorb that sin? Yes. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you have fallen off, no matter where you have wandered, his grace extends to that. But you have to ask for that forgiveness. That is the very definition of the gospel. Go to those last two for me, those questions. If that's not true, then what are we doing here? You could have slept in. The Vikings are playing today, right now. (laughs) If that's not true, why are they playing at 9 in the morning to the anger of every pastor in the world um, or in Minnesota, okay? If that's not true, then what are we building our life upon? Yet, we will say, on the next question, we will say it is the highest authority for what I believe as long as it doesn't make me uncomfortable. Those two things can't exist together. And so that's why we feel attention, or maybe that's why people see, think that we're fake, we're hypocritical. Because if we say, this is what I believe, but it's not truth, that's a tension that can't exist. And that is why less and less people have faith. Because if it's what I believe, but it's not truth, eventually there will be one thing too many where then you will lose your faith and you will walk away. Or you won't even begin to share it because it's not that good of news to you. So we have a hand to play in this. And all those other questions that were in there, I don't have to join a local church, I can be alone, all of those other things are adding to that disconnect. That's why we're losing our religion. But the opportunity is huge. Because there's something inside all of humanity that cries out to God when things get hard. And the opportunity is if we can find a way to speak to that. You don't want to go through those difficult things. But we need to communicate the gospel in a clear and relevant manner on truth, not our own truth, on the truth of the word of God and the authority of scripture. We build our life on that and we actually do this question, then we won't look like hypocrites. Hopefully that makes sense. It's been a heck of a couple of weeks. I don't even know what I'm preaching at it, it, it preaching um, past few weeks, but this is a passion of mine that I think everything comes back to the central core issue is, is the Bible authoritative? Is it the word of God? Let's go back one. How would you answer this question? How would you personally answer this question? It's, it's a good thing. Religious belief's a good thing. It's your personal opinion. Give it to yourself. But it's not about objective truth. That is a scary number of people sitting in the church that are not answering this question. This should be just as high as the other. This should be, yes, of course, it's, it's, this, 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 the disagree should be way bigger on this. But of course it's truth. Why else? What, 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 what am I doing then? Because if it's not true, 
than that slave trader who sat down to write a song to God about how amazing his grace is would not be the most recorded song in the history of the world. It would not be the song that we cried out for from a blind man to sing in front of a church in Italy. There's something in us, something in all of, all of humanity, and we get to share that message with them. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, may we realize how amazing this grace is. Maybe we've taken it for granted. Maybe we got busy. Maybe life got difficult and complicated and we walked away. Other priorities took place. We've allowed bits that make us uncomfortable in the Bible. We just let go of them. Maybe we really haven't examined it in quite a long time. So, Lord, this morning, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that your grace may rain down upon us. May your mercy triumph. And may we who are a long way off begin the walk home. May we turn around and walk home as you scan the horizon to see the prodigals walk. Lord, we pray and we're so grateful that your grace extends to us, even me, even the slave trader. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.